Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're going to take a kind of interesting look at these markets today. Obviously, we had a report that took place yesterday, and folks have had a good 24 hours to digest those numbers. But what about the 2023 contracts? Are we seeing any sort of pattern that's in there for the grains? And is there one crop over the other that has more specifics? And look at the world beanstalk numbers. We know numbers were brought down, but how does that compare to what the privates have been saying on these numbers? There was some good news for cattle feeders in that report of yesterday. And then, if if time allows, definitely want to look at these planting costs, 21 versus 22, and what that's going to mean into 23, kind of looping back to those 2023 contracts that we're going to talk about. Well, Brian Split joins us. He is with agmarket.net, and and I want to start out talking a little bit about these 2023 contracts, because you said there's some interesting things being kind of defined as we look a year ahead. Yeah, Susan. So um, last week, and it was January 6th, was the day that the uh, the buying really started in earnest. Uh, we had the 2023 contracts, and this is for both corn and soybeans, uh, really see some very strong buying. And so it's really interesting because if you go back to the September quarterly stock report, and that report was on September 30th, three days before that report, the Dece of 23 corn contract had a very large day higher, and that began a, uh, a spree of six sessions in a row where that contract uh, rallied. And it, over the course of those six sessions, it went up 34 cents, which amounted to a 7.3% gain in those six days. Uh, and, and interestingly, that buying started three days before that quarterly stock report. So then fast forward to where we are today, and we had the quarterly stock report yesterday. Uh, now, in this instance, the buying started four days before the report, but from the low, uh, that the day the buying started to today's high, and this is six sessions in a row of buying, we actually tacked on 38 and a half cents, but it was a 7.6% gain compared to a 7.3% gain uh, centered around that September quarterly stock report. And, and interestingly, the method of entry for a lot of these contracts that have been buying were block trades. And so block trades are, are kind of an off-exchange trade where you can trade a numerous amount of contracts um, at one price. And so what the purpose of these block trades are for is for entities that need to do a lot of contracts, but in a deferred contract that may not have the same liquidity as a nearby contract, it allows them to negotiate a price with a with another party where all of those contracts are filled at the same price. So a few days ago when we had Dece of 23 trade at 530 for the first time, we were sitting around 527, 528, and then there was a block trade of 500 contracts at 530. So... To me, that's some kind of institutional money. Maybe it's an index fund, something like that, that said, hey, we're going to buy this many contracts. We want them all done at the same price. We're willing to give up a couple cents in order to do it. Um, and so we saw the same type of movement or centered around that quarterly stock report back in September. Now, interestingly, once that buying was finished, so again, this was six days in a row, the market dried up as far as buying goes, and the market retraced 62% of that whole rally. Um, and so we've been looking at uh, at selling this contract for clients 
um, did some, uh, you know, quite a bit of business there today. And whether it's something where a producer says, you know what, this is a good price for a couple years out, I want to start my marketing there, or if it's just simply a trade where we say, hey, you know, we started at 504 and a half, we went to 543. If we retrace 62% of that, like last time, it should take us back around the 520 area. Uh, we, we think there's good opportunities opportunity there. Um, and then you look at the November of 23 soybeans, really the same thing. Uh, we had had this contract where it was like a, a brick wall was sitting at $12. We just couldn't get through it. And once we did, uh, this market ran from 12 all the way up to a high today at 12.51 and three quarters. So again, uh, this is not something where we feel like you need to be super aggressive, but probably not a bad spot to do a, a very, um, you know, early part of your marketing for, for not next year, for not where we're planting this spring, but we'll be planting in the spring of, of 2023. And it's interesting when you when you look at the the whole gamut, especially when you compare to what we saw in these these reports of yesterday and the numbers and the changes we saw. And for example, the the drop down on world bean stocks it does kind of set the picture. And you do need to look beyond this current marketing year a little bit more, I think, than folks have in the past. You do. Um, you know, it, it was a decade ago that we had the drought in twenty twelve. Uh, but what did that present for producers? That presented opportunity to do multiple years worth of marketing. And I know it can be very difficult mentally when you're still trying to figure out how to handle the crop that you just grew this past fall, much less looking at next year's crop, uh, which, by the way, for the 2022 crop, ag- agmarket.net, uh, is sitting at a recommended 30% of corn production and a recommended 50% of expected bean production is where we're sitting. And that, that might be through a combination of board hedges, maybe some option positions, uh, something in the physical cash market. But that's those are the percentages that we're sitting at right now. Uh, but, yes, it can be very difficult to go that far out, especially because I know a lot of producers are concerned about the input costs this year. Um, you know, we look at CPI up uh, 7.1%. Inflation is is uh, is on the move right now, um, and so going that far out can be uh, a, a tough move to make. Because all right, well, what is it going to cost to grow a crop of corn in 2023? Um, but you look at what happened with where we are right now. The, the 2021 crop went in dirt cheap compared to what it looks like we're going to be uh, looking at for the cost to plant a crop of corn in 2022. So I, I, I do think there's a fear of you know what happens if the input costs continue to go up uh, but i think you also got to think about it on the flip side of that where what happens if you spend a ton of dough to plant a corn crop uh and all of a sudden we're not sitting at five dollar corn anymore and next fall we end up having a very large crop uh what if we have record yields and we're sub five dollars on a crop that costs you uh an arm and a leg to plant and folks, we come back, we're going to continue on that discussion and take a look at some other factors that are weighing in on both the grain and the livestock. It is the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. For over 85 years, Fontenelle Hybrids has brought consistency to Nebraska farmers. Fontenelle dealer Dusty Mim near Sutton talks about the consistency he's seen on his own farm. We run a lot of checks with competitive products to make sure that, that we're offering our customers the best product that we possibly can. And time and time again, Fontenelle has, has come to the plate and hit base hit after base hit. For more, just contact your local Fontenelle Hybrids dealer or look us up on the web, Fontenelle.com. Always follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide labor. VM. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Brian Split of AgMarket.net. So we are talking about these planting costs, 21 versus versus 20. 
Uh, it is way too early to really try and figure out what the inputs are going to be. I, I can tell you that inputs likely won't come down uh, unless the futures price comes down. So no matter what the price of natural gas does or or did from the recent highs, I really don't see the the uh, input cost coming down unless the the futures price comes down. I think uh, you know the uh, the seller of, of the product right now. Um, you know, has has the uh, the producer uh, in a, in a position right now where they know they need the product uh, and they can see where the board is and and they're not likely to to let the price come down uh, unless they know that the the futures market has come down alongside of it. So, um, you know, out to twenty twenty three, that's going to be a really a a, a a concern of you know what are we still seeing inflation? Um, are we still seeing you know these these issues with uh, the supply chain. Uh, you would like to really think that by that time, uh, that we would have uh, you know the coronavirus in more of an endemic stage, uh, where we're not seeing the supply chain issues that we're dealing with right now. Um, and so I, I would tend to think that the input costs down the road, unless we're just in a hyperinflationary environment, uh, should be uh, at a lower level than what we're dealing with right now. Um, and so if that's the case, you know, I know there's kind of that saying, you know, you, you hope your first sale is your worst sale. I hope that if we're selling, you know, diesel 23 at 535 and if we're selling November 23 at 1250, um, I, I hope those are our worst sales. But what if those are your best sales? You know, that, that's also a, a, a possibility and a potential outcome over the long run as well. Bring up some good points. As, as we look at the, at the soybean numbers, and we did talk a little bit at the beginning of this, but private side of it there's are we starting to get closer into agreement with what the usda is saying and what the private estimates are coming in on world beans well usda uh brought the world stocks down seven million tons and um i think that's still not as much as where some of the privates are uh you know there's one firm that uh made the the chop all the way down to 134 million tons for the brazil crop uh, just that drop, just for Brazil specifically, would be more than what the USDA dropped yesterday for all of South America, um, you know, and all of the, the world bean stocks. Um, so I think there's still part of the crop down there that if it does get some rain, um, you know, it would benefit it and, and we could still see the, the crop produce more than what, uh, you know, some of the privates are expecting. Uh, I don't think the the drop yesterday was really, again, the, the world numbers did come down, but I think the market thought that maybe it could have come down more, even though the, the private you know estimates for the report, um, they did come down more than the private estimates for the report specifically. But I think a lot of the whisper numbers out there were for the, the number to drop more significantly than what it did. So um, when you look at, you know, kind of what happened last year, we had a period of time where CONAB, for example, which is the, the South American entity uh, in Brazil, similar to the USDA, uh, they had the South American bean crop all the way down to 129 million tons at one point, just for it to go back up to about 137, 138 at the end of the and at the end of the day. Uh, and I, I wonder if you're not going to see the same type of thing where we walk the crop down too far, uh, and then as we get through the end of the, the growing cycle and we get it through harvest, that the crop actually turns out a little bit better than expected. And that's usually the case when you get these weather-driven markets where, every, where there's a race to the bottom as far as the size of the crop. On the livestock side, cattle feeders, um, did they kind of come out with some good news after yesterday's report, especially when you look at the overall grain numbers and, and the way things moved? 
Right. So I think there was a concern because uh, of some of the ways the market is structured uh, for corn that maybe the stocks were going to come out a little tighter than how the USDA has been leading on. And what I mean by that is you look at March corn and you look at May corn and you look at July corn, there's really no carry in the market. Um, and so I, I think the concern was that maybe because of the lack of carry that that was telling us that there was less corn out there. Uh, but then you look at the way the report actually came out, and the uh, carryout was was revised a little bit higher. So we're at 1.54 billion bushels for the uh, estimate for carryout for corn. And so 62.1% of the stocks uh, as of December 1 were on farm. And that's kind of towards the upper end of percentages over the last several years. So maybe what that's really telling us is that the lack of carry in the strong basis is not because the corn's not out there. It's because it's still uh, quite a bit of it is in the producer hand, uh, and the producer is well capitalized, right? And what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach me directly at 815-665-0463. You can reach anybody at the Ag Market team at uh, 844-4-AG-MARKET, so 844-424-6758. Uh, I would also like to let you guys know that we are doing two conferences this year. We're going to do a conference in Indianapolis, Indiana, on January 31st and then Kansas City uh, on February 7th. So you can go to our website, www.agmarket.net, and register for the conference there. All right, sounds good. That is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. As always, just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve a substantial risk of loss and might not be suitable for all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.